Thank you, Michael, for honoring my request for Rich Mullins' classic. Isn't that a great song? I love that one. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Glad you found your way here today on this gorgeous morning with beautiful snow. (laughs) And we will pray for all the... uh, People who are challenged by uh, terrible weather. Now, I know it's uh, nasty and some might not make it. Let me just say we have prayer meeting tonight. If it snows again, canceled, okay? If it snows again, it's canceled. Everybody hear me? It's not going to snow again. But, and don't stay home because it's cold. That doesn't bother anybody, right? Well, good morning. Um, I have a couple of things I want to mention, and then we'll launch into the Word uh, together. And um, my mind is slightly uh, scattered. But yes, I know, that's normal, right? One is um, thanks for everybody's uh, kindness and gifts through October, which was that Hallmark Classic, Pastor Appreciation (laughs) Month, which uh, I hate that idea that they can impose that on you, but... Many of you were very gracious, and some even remembered I got older that month, so, and that happens, you know. So thank you so much for your kindnesses and remembering me and all of that, and I just wanted to make sure if I forgot to tell you personally that you're in a group thank you, okay? Everybody, can you say, you're welcome? Yeah, no, that's right. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving this week. We have reasons for gratitude, don't we? Paul says, having food and covering with these, we shall be content. We have a lot more than food and covering. We really do. And so we have reasons to give thanks. Next week, we'll um, celebrate, I think, the Lord's table, if I've got my schedule right. It's the week after Thanksgiving. It's the end of the month. Can you believe November is over? I know, it's terrible. And don't even go, like, how many shopping days. We don't even want to know. But uh, hopefully your Thanksgiving will be one of giving uh, gratitude to God for his goodness. And he's watched out for us so many ways. Um, we're going to, I'm going to ask you um, also in a moment to turn in the Pew Bible, or if you have your own, use yours. You can follow along. As we're going to read the text for today straight out of the book, I'm not putting it on the screen at all, okay? Once in a while, I just feel rebellious and... Uh, I think, in fact, we were having a discussion this last week that uh, not being in the paper sometimes, in the book, may be to our disadvantage that we don't know our way around the Bible. And, you know, growing disciples, growing congregations have people who are serious about discipleship. And you know what one of the primary evidences of that is? Regularly reading the Bible. It's very obvious as I interact with people, and I have reason I'm parking on this today because it's related to the subject as well as my personal life uh, in this last week, that uh, people do not know what God says. They have all kinds of wrong ideas, wrong thinking. So for those of you who are visiting or you're newer here, um, I I just felt prompted this morning, maybe it was because I saw uh, one of the old Billy Graham decision magazines that has actually has my testimony in it, that I ought to tell you, uh, if you're new, that um, you're looking at somebody who would uh, probably have been in jail 
if it hadn't been for the saving, rescuing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I come back from the 70s. I'm old. I already, I already alluded to that. And uh, in the 70s, anybody know what was happening in the 70s? Flower power. Flower power, baby. It was hippie city. That was me. I did not prepare. Those of you who want to see my Charles Manson picture, I did not bring it. But I will show you sometime because that's who I remind me of and I scare myself when I see that picture. The glazed stone something look in my, I don't know. And uh, it was not like people were badgering me or anything else, but I believe people were praying. And one day as I sat in my home with, uh, where I live with my mom and my grandmother, and I frankly should have been thrown out of the house. Uh, but for some reason, my mom didn't have the, uh, uh, you know, that kind of out. I'm watching Billy Graham on television. Don't remember a word he had to say. And um, all of a sudden, the lights came on. I said, that's the truth. That is the truth. That's the only way to be right with the God who made us. And my life was radically transformed. And that was 40-some-odd years ago. And uh, it stuck. And I hope it sticks for you. And so if you're listening in today and you're wondering about all this, why we're here, it's just a bunch of Jesus freaks trying to follow what he says in the word. Some of us are doing pretty good. Some of us not so good. We're all in this together. And so you may rub shoulders with somebody that you scratch your head or you may, run, well, you might scratch your head if you rub shoulders with me. And, uh, but we're in that process. Some of us are further along than others. We would be delighted to explain to you what it means to come to know the God who made you. There is a God who made you. You are made to know him, whether you realize it or not. We think fulfilling the, the great American dream, you know, that's it. That's not it. If I just get that, then I'll, then I'll have arrived. If I just could have this much resource or money, or if I just had this possession, or this Harley Davidson, that's a tough one right there. That's not, I don't. That's not it. You know what? You still will not find the fulfillment you're looking for because we were made to know the God who created us. So I feel sorry for some of us who... We're getting that all the time, you know. Does this sound cold? I, I'm saying to any of our students from Harmony Christian School, I feel a little sorry for you. Okay, I'm going to let that hang. So, because sometimes we're so familiar, we take it for granted. We don't understand. This is absolutely life transformational. Okay, so that's my story. If you want to know details, come and talk to me, all right? Be glad to do that with you. I'm going to ask you to join me um, in the Word of God first and then prayer together second. And if you, have a, if you don't have a Bible, that black one that's in the pew, uh, I can tell you the exact page to turn to. It doesn't get any easier than that, right? Page 960. And you'll see in there it says the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes first, and then there's this very famous portion of Scripture if you're physically limited in any way, don't feel like you need to stand. But would you stand with me to honor the word of God? If you're not feeling well or feeling a little dizzy or whatever it might be. And I'm not, uh, I'm not joking there. There are times we do. Page 960 down on verse 13. This is Matthew chapter 5, 
the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew in the New Testament, and starting in the 13th verse. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord. That's as far as we're going to go. Stay standing while we pray. We come in simple faith today, Lord Jesus, on the basis of what you have done for us. You have made atonement for our sin, an expiation which purges sin, a propitiation which not only purges us from sin, but enables us to be friends with the one we've offended. We can actually be your friends. And Jesus, you said you are in fact my friends when you do what I command you. And Lord, we're disciples, as I've already mentioned. We are Christians trying to follow you, stumbling along sometimes. But when you show us what to do, help us to do it. I want to be cataloged as one of your friends. This morning, Lord, we come from all kinds of experiences. Um, Some have experienced loss in the room today. They're sad. It's hard to sing, blessed be your name, as Ben prayed earlier. But there's some kind of a release when we do say, you're good and you're sovereign. You know what you're doing. I choose to trust you. So would you comfort us, we who have uh, seen any kind of hardship this week or any loss, those who are rejoicing today, I know at least one person who experienced some real victory. And we're grateful for that. We'll take what we can get, Lord. Because sometimes in this world, it doesn't feel super victorious. But Lord, you said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Lord, that means the world that we're living in here, even in America, with the political climate and the craziness and the moral slide and the confusion. Yes, you have overcome the world. I want to be one of your overcomers. I want to be your friend. I want to be your overcomer. I simply want to be one of your followers that has the spirit of grace resting on him or her. Would you help us today? Open our ears. We pray for your encouragement. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that you love us, but more importantly, because I just sat with people in one of my own family's funerals this week and reminded them that Jesus loves you, but he's looking for a response from you. Help us to respond. Whether we're in your kingdom, whether we're looking in, somewhere in the middle, (laughs) help us. We thank you, we praise you in the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen and amen. Please be seated and thank you. So our title today is Gather and Scatter because I couldn't think of anything clever. Because what I want to talk about is the reality that 
the church gathers like you're doing this morning, even when it snows, to gather together, and then we scatter, right? And that's not in a negative sense. We're all going to scatter at the end of this service, right? Can't help it. You're just going to go do that. Spread out into the world wherever you are. And that is a great picture, really, of how God designed it, that the church would be the called out ones. They would gather together. Those followers of Christ would get together to worship him and to encourage one another. And then they would scatter back into the world where they are called, as we read in this passage, to be a light, right? That whole picture. I think that that description of a light on a lampstand or a city on a hill, whatever description Jesus uses... I think he's even thinking of an Old Testament text I'm going to share in a minute. But it made me think of um, this, this place. That almost looks like like an Egyptian temple, doesn't it? It's actually, if you can read it, it's very faint. First Presbyterian Church of Sag Harbor, Long Island, on the North Shore. A very uh, famous, well-heeled whaling town. Back in the 17, 1800s especially. In fact, at one point, there were as many as 1,800 whalers working out of this town. And because of the business of whaling, uh, they brought millions of dollars into Sag Harbor. If you've ever visited, it's a beautiful little town and obviously (laughs) well-heeled because of its history. But way back then, in 1766, the first Presbyterian church in Sag Harbor built a building... That's not it. But it was on this spot. I'm going somewhere with this, okay, just in case you're worried. I, you know, a little history never hurt anyone. And uh, that's what it looks like now if you were to see it. This is what it looked like 100 years ago. Look at that steeple. And um, the reason it was interesting to me, is having been there, is that the whalers could see it out on the sound, way out. They could see that landmark. It was like a city on a hill. It was like a light, like a beacon. We head for home. They knew where to go. And Jesus is telling us that we're like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Men don't light a lamp and then put it under a peck measure. They put it on a lampstand. The point is that we are guiding people who are adrift home. We're either doing it well or we're not doing it well, but that's who we're called to be when we are scattered. The concept of helping your neighbor uh, even, even was in place in the Jewish community in the Old Testament. It was. Uh, if your neighbor's donkey falls down, the Bible says, help your brother get it up, right? Today that would be help somebody change a tire, or whatever it might happen, because we don't ride donkeys anymore. You notice that? We tend to drive gas-powered vehicles, you know, or something akin to that. Something about caring and being a witness. The kindness that God built into his law, which I'm in the process of reading through all the tedious details of the law in the Old Testament. The, the, there's kindness placed in there. In spite of the severities of righteous standards, there's also kindness because God intended that his people would be a witness even to those outside of the family of Israel, that their lights would shine. I think Jesus had in mind texts like the one I'm about to share with you from Isaiah, which is repeated in a number of prophets, 
And um, some of the uh, preachers in the history of America used to reference these kind of texts as a picture of, I'm going to use a dangerous word, an R word, a picture of revival. The reason it's a dangerous word is because most of us don't understand it. I'm just telling you, we don't. We think it means like hyper meetings and heavy evangelism and big choirs and all that has nothing to do with revival. Revival is when the spirit moves back on a sleeping church and wakes them up. In fact, that building that was built had to be rebuilt because a revival hit America in the 1800s. The Second Great Awakening swept so many people into the kingdom of heaven and revived the church that didn't have room in the original building. They had to build a new one. That's actually the history. Happened back in 1840s. Jesus had this uh, in mind, I think, when he talked about the light on a hill, the city uh, set on a hill. I think he had ideas like this. comes right out of his father's Old Testament written to the Jewish people. Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. See, people love to put this in the end time so we can sleep through it. But I don't think it's limited to the end times. In fact, there's something here about conversion. Peoples, nations, the goyim, the outsiders are going to say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that may we walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Anybody ever sing the hymn, O Zion Haste? They insipidly changed the words to, oh, Christian haste in the hymn book. Zion haste. It's a picture of the church, you know? And the, and the uh, men like Jonathan Edwards and other preachers, both in our history and in Europe, would see that vision of the church being exalted, being empowered by revival authority, the work of the Spirit. And not only would the church wake up, but the nations around us, the non-believers watching us would say something's going on and they would be drawn. I've probably told the story of, of uh, Binghamton and Billy Sunday too many times, right? You said no. Now I have a hard decision to make. Okay, that's the eyes have it, I guess. But I, I mentioned it very quickly that when Billy Sunday would come to the area, the businesses in Binghamton, he was an evangelist, by the way, back just at the turn of the century, I think. The businesses in Binghamton would pay for him to come to have, bad choice, revival meetings, right? Because people would get right with God and they would start paying their bills and taking back things that were stolen from the stores. In other words, they started acting like Christians. So people were drawn in the Old Testament context of the temple even. People who were outsiders were drawn. Redemption is happening in the Old Testament. We read and say, oh, well, when Jesus came, redemption happened. No, it's happening from the very beginning, from Genesis, redemption is being communicated and back in those days as they worshiped the god of israel as they went to the temple and the tabernacle first the tabernacle then the temple people were drawn to the god of israel 
Think about the individuals in the Old Testament. Rahab, you know, rescued from the first conquest, right, from the city of Jericho. People knew about the God of Israel. She had the sense to say, I'm teaming up with him. One, Naaman. Do you remember Naaman, the leper who had a little slave girl from, from the Jews who she loved, her master, and said, if he only knew about the God of Israel, if he would go, if he would go to Israel and meet one of our prophets, he could be healed. And he was. The Ethiopian eunuch in the New Testament, hearing about the God of Israel through Old Testament scripture, not from New Testament, from Old Testament, right? The Queen of Sheba, Ruth, becoming a follower of Yahweh. Your people will be my people. We quote that wrongly in marriage ceremonies, but, you know, she's talking to her mother and all. You all know that? It's a little weird. Anyway, so, you guys have to get out more, so. So let's talk about what happens when we gather and then we'll talk about what happens in scattering, gathering, right? Let's gather. We are, we are here. We're gathered. Explained it. I already did. How the church comes together and then goes out. The same thing was true even in the Old Testament. At the risk of harping on the subject, I am a little bit stubborn on this. I actually believe that Christians ought to show up for worship. I do. All right? So... I, I'm telling you right now, I'm not, I'm not a judge. I don't try to assess everybody's uh, personal lifestyle and things that are going on in everyone's life. But gathering and prioritizing worship, I believe, is a mark of discipleship. In fact, Rayner talks about that very thing. At one point he said, if you're a disciple, trying to talk a person into going to church is not an issue because disciples are hungry. And it could be argued that disciples and Christians might be two separate categories. But we're not going to go there this morning, okay? I'm just going to keep moving. But it isn't dimension of basic discipleship. You have your fill-ins on your, um, on your bulletin. I'm putting them all on the screen because I heard a while back, sometimes people have a hard time following me, and I totally understand that because it's on me. I do have ADD. I go over here, and then I'm over here, and it's like, where is he now? I don't know. And so don't feel bad. I don't know where I am. So. But I'm trying to help me and you by staying on task that under the subject of gathering, basic discipleship involves connecting with the assembly. Let me just show you who should be our model. That wasn't a trick question, right? Jesus. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his habit. Just standard. He's in town. It's the Sabbath. You go to the place of local worship. That's what he did. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, stood up to read. It wasn't just because he was going to read. It was because it was his habit. I'm going to go quickly through these. One of my favorite uh, authors, and some of you are reading his story, I know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've quoted many, many times out of Life Together, classic text. Here's some of his comments about the gathering of the saints. Between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible union with other Christians. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, 
the scattered lonely. Think of those who are being persecuted, right? We just prayed for them last week. The proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know the visible union, visible fellowship is a blessing. I'm just telling you right now, that's where the work assignment is. Excuse me. Whoa, what just happened? Sorry. One time, um, Haddon Robinson, who was the instructor of homiletics at Denver Seminary for a long time, was preaching, and he went like this, and, and all of a sudden he couldn't talk. And he said, when he finally got his voice back, he said, I have to tell you this, a fruit fly just went right down. (laughs) And that's what, it just felt like that. I'm going to call that the Haddon Robinson effect from now on. If it ever happens again, Haddon Robinson effect. Okay, so let me finish where I was. Life together. The believer, therefore, lauds the Creator, the Redeemer, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the bodily presence of a brother. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. It is, of course, true that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, gift of the kingdom of God, that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it's grace, nothing but grace that we're allowed to live in a community with Christian brethren. And by the way, that might end on our watch. The reason I mentioned that's where the work needs to be, well, kind of leads me to number two. The second thing in gathering is edification. It's a discipleship factor, but it's edification. Is there edification happening when we gather together? Why I don't care about coming to church is because nothing really is going on there, or actually it's more painful to be there sometimes got to get a hold of that and fix so that we're really manifesting grace and life and life speak to one another together. There is a dimension of edification. I told you, I'm risking harping, okay? I won't bring it up ever again. No, I might be lying there. (laughs) I'm not going to harp on it, though. I'm trying to make a point. Let me show you a passage of Scripture. Everybody's probably read this if they've been a Christian more than two years Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful. Let us consider how... Oh, 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 oh. No, I'll come back to it. He who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to... And... Yes, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. Okay? but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, that's commonly used by preachers to beat the saints into submission, right? <laughs> commonly. But here's the fun part about Look at There's something going on there. There's edification considering how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. When I gather with the saints, am I going to take a step forward and be edified 
or am I going to be dragged down? That's a question I have to work through. And we have to work through as a congregation because it's not all on me, you know. Discipleship, one of Rainer's statements, starts with preaching, but that's not all of it. The saints minister to one another. Let's have a little fun for a second, can we? They're all saying, please. (laughs) This word at the top, confession. The confession. The Greek word, homologia. Okay? A profession, an acknowledgement. It means to bear witness. To bear witness. If you take one of the hymn books out of your pew, and I'm going to ask you to do that. Take one of the hymn books and turn way in the back. There's a whole bunch of scripture readings and everything. I'm going to make it easy because I, could, I had a terrible time finding this. But it is page 719. 719. A few minutes ago, our brother um, Mike sang a confession. Everybody with me? I believe in God the Father. It's based on the Apostles' Creed. He's making a confession, okay? There's another form of it that's actually a prayer. So the Apostles' Creed is on page 716. The Nicene Creed is 717. A contemporary affirmation of faith is 718. These are all creeds. These are statements that the church can affirm. We can hold fast our confession, the confession of our hope. There is actually something useful in doing this. We Baptist types, we don't do a lot of ceremonial repetitions, repeat the Lord's Prayer every week and all of that, and we know we're more spiritual because of that, right? Not necessarily. And others do them every week, and they can do it by heart and do business at the same time because they're not engaged, right? So the point is there must be a balance, a use for confession, and I think there is. So look at this, if you would. Follow along with me. Page 719, it's called Tedeum. That's not tedium. That's not tedium. That's Tedeum, all right, which is Latin. The real title is, uh, let's see, what was it? Tedeum, 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 Tedeum. Oh, I have it right here. Laudamus, yes. The God This is what it means. The God we laud, we glorify, we honor, we worship. We praise thee, O God, to God. Thee or the God, that is T-H-E-E, you, God, we adore. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. All the earth doth worship the Father everlasting. To thee all angels cry aloud, the heavens and all the powers therein. Can we just pause and think about that for a minute? What's going on right now with our little uh, kind of weak offering of worship today? You know, the modest, uh, modest, uh, you know, barely on task preacher you have and what have you. While all that's going on in glory, all the angelic hosts are honoring God. The whole universe actually worships him without words. To thee, cherubim and seraphim continually do cry, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, that's what that means, of the armies of heaven, Sabaoth, that's the word. 
Heaven and earth are full of the majesty of thy glory. The glorious company of the apostles praise thee. The goodly fellowship of the prophets praise thee. The noble armor of martyrs, army of martyrs praise thee. The holy church throughout the whole world doth acknowledge thee. Isn't that awesome? The Father of an infinite majesty, thine adorable, true, and only Son, also the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, thou art the King of glory, O Christ. Thou art the everlasting Son of the Father. When thou lookest upon thee to deliver man, tookest upon thee to deliver man, thou didst humble thyself to be born of a virgin. When you had overcome the sharpness of death, you opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers." Thou sittest at the right hand of God in the glory of the Father. We believe that thou shalt come to be our judge. We therefore pray thee, help thy servants, whom thou hast redeemed with thy precious blood. Make them to be numbered with thy saints in glory everlasting. O Lord, save thy people and bless thy heritage. Govern them and lift them up forever. Day by day we magnify thee. And we worship thy name ever, world without end. Vouchsafe, O Lord, to keep us this day without sin. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. Lord, let thy mercy be upon us as our trust is in thee. O Lord, in thee I have trusted. Let me never be confounded. Gee, I think that was unspiritual, don't you? No, I think it was awesome. It's an awesome confession and prayer going together. It's appropriate to make confession. Now, why did I say that? Because edification happens. We gather together. Sometimes I need to be reminded. It's kind of why I asked Mike to sing that song. I love that song. I love the way Mullins put it together. And what is it speaking? It's speaking truth. And I need to be reminded. I believe. And here's my favorite line from the movie. I did not make it. I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God, not the invention of every, any man. Whoa. I don't know about you. I got goosebumps just saying that. I did not make it. No, it is making me. Is it making you? It's transforming me. I am who I am because of I believe. That really is true. So there was a big debate about how user-friendly we need to be with people who come to listen to us talk about the gospel. And sometimes, and that's why the title is Reaching Out Without Dumbing Down, we can lose the gospel in the process. And what we get backwards sometimes is that we're trying to make Christianity so palatable that it's not Christianity anymore. So there were questions about worship. Let me just read a couple of comments if I could. Every word, quoting from a a scholar named Gaddy, Marva Dawn says, every word and act in worship constitutes a witness about God as well as an offering to God. Who's the primary audience in worship? God, right? But we're secondary, remember? God is glorified, we're sanctified. Okay. Every act and word in worship constitutes a witness about God as well as an offering to God. The manner in which God is worshipped is a message about how God is perceived, how God's holiness is to be reverenced, approached. We want, therefore, to give God not only what is best, what God deserves, what is consistent with his nature, but that which most accurately reveals the nature of God to others. Now get this. Martin Marty, who was a church scholar, insists worship cannot be determined by the market. 
The marketing approach, of course, draws crowds, but is so fully adapted to the not yet born again that worship becomes measured by aesthetics and experience of those who don't yet know why we should shudder. Are you getting... Anybody catch what I'm saying there? What he's saying? Okay, I will. The marketing approach, of course, draws crowds, but is so fully adapted to the not yet born again. Not yet born again. A person who's not a Christian yet. The light on the hill draws people to it. We don't pull it down off the hill. It draws people to it. And so he says... That worship in that context can become measured by the aesthetics and experience of those who do not know yet why we should shudder. In other words, that we're in trouble with a holy God. So this other scholar, Gaddy, mentioned this. I'm asked to speak or write on the subject of how to make worship meaningful. I'm troubled by the assumptions behind those requests. First is the conviction that generally worship is uninteresting. Second is the suggestion that worship can be made interesting by human ingenuity and creativity. Both ideas are as mistaken as they are common. I work with the assumption that worship is meaningful just because of what it is, even if I'm all by myself. doesn't matter whether we have a worship band. doesn't matter whether we have seats to sit on. We have to sit on the floor. It doesn't matter. It just is. Quests for meaning in worship are best served by discovering how to worship with integrity. Determining the nature of true worship is much more important than exploring the ways humans can bring novelty to worship. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean we should work at making it boring. Or, or not understood by outsiders should they join us. In fact, that's where we want to go. As long as I don't get rid of my sermon notes. So what we want is to worship and honor God. It would be wonderful if another thing would happen, an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That would be awesome, don't you think? Paul talked about it in Corinthians. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you're assembled, and I with you in spirit, with what? The power of our Lord Jesus. Churches are very used to operating without God ever showing up. That's impossible. God's every... Yes, I know. I I know the theology. But I think you catch what I'm saying. I would desire a visitation. I would love to see a third great awakening hit our land. Wouldn't it be amazing to have to tear down every church because it's not big enough? Like Sag Harbor. But there's one other thing. Let's talk about concern for outsiders. So I set the stage by saying that we have to make sure we honor God biblically so that people are drawn to the light rather than getting a misconception of who God is, that he's a holy God that we're separated from because of our sin. Our big problem today is not our social awkwardness. Our problem is we're sinners, and we've erased sin from our culture. There's almost no sin anymore. Have you noticed that? There's no sin. Well, I mean, I'm, trying, I'm asking myself... What's the place of the gospel today when nothing, the most heinous type of behaviors are not sins anymore? And you know that a, a, a great uh, psychologist wrote a book on that, Menninger. Was it, what's his name? Um, whatever Became a Sin? I think it was Menninger. Anyway, concern for outsiders. Look at this verse. Well, let me remind you. Last week, I looked at Mark chapter 
11, when Jesus was angry and cleansed the temple. Everybody knows that story, throwing the tables over, driving people out, and oh boy. And what was his statement? His statement was this. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den? The problem is not because the building is whole. And we, we tried to sort this out last week. We think, we think wrongly about this physical building as the house of God. It's not the house of God. It's a place where the house of God meets. You're the house of God. Everybody with me? Amen. Okay. Well, I don't agree. Don't. It's okay. It's a free country. But the Bible says we are the body of Christ. So... God says, I'm concerned for when an outsider comes because he's drawn to the light, and it will happen. It should be happening a lot more, but it will happen. Someone is drawn to the light, they come. I'm concerned that they get what's going on. And here's the text that says it. Watch this. If therefore the whole church should assemble together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say, you are mad? They might say that even if you don't speak in tongues. But if the whole thing is bedlam, he's saying this is not helping an outsider to understand what the gospel's all about. So it should be obvious from the scripture, they expected non-believers to be peppered in, salted in to congregations as they met. And they wanted the non-believer to be drawn, not just drawn to the light, but to be drawn into the family to understand clearly why we're here. So let's talk for a minute about sacred space because... I was on that last week. I saw this thing. This is, this is a great story. How do we use our space to glorify God and impact outsiders? So we've, we've tried a few experiments. I mentioned last week, you know, we, we've, we've adjusted the auditorium. We've got coffee, and some people I know that doesn't fit in there. And I said, if that gets in the way of us really worshiping, we'll throw it out. But in the meantime, if it does work to create some fellowship, which we desperately need in this room, then we're going to keep it. There's no law one way or the other about that. That's completely up to a local assembly how they want to operate. Let me put a real challenge before you. What would you do if you were in this pastor from Kentucky or Tennessee in his place at Heartsong Church, when he found out that exactly directly across the street, the property got sold to the local Muslim congregation. How should believers respond to that? Signs on the highway, get out of our country, you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Huh? Welcome to the neighborhood. Thank you. You know what this guy did? The Muslim community had a community center getting built where their mosque would be and all of that. They were going to have a grand opening and it all fell through time-wise. They couldn't make it happen. The pastor was praying, figuring out how to, what do we do? They offered him their building to have their fellowship meeting. Muslims worshiping in a Christian church building. <gasps> oh, he caught it, baby. One of his deacons. One of his deacons. I'm going to have to leave the church. The classic line. 
I'm sorry. Let me restrain myself. Roll it back in. I have to leave the church, this pastor wisely said. Let me just encourage you to read this passage of Scripture and pray about it. A guy came back. They had him on video. He's bawling his eyes out, the deacon. I was wrong. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a sinner. I'm so wrong. They connected. You should have seen the film. All these Muslims and Christians hugging each other, having a blast, fellowship meals together. Not fellowship in Christ. They know who they belong to. Come on. You're not going to get cooties because you hugged a Muslim. I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to win more Muslims to Christ than you and I will ever see in our lifetime. It's going to be awesome. What about the people that they'll convert to their... Okay. I'm moving along. I get that. Can, can I? Let, well, let me be real candid with you. When I read the first, when I first saw it, after I processed it, I thought this should be a no-brainer. But it wasn't for me. Even I was like, "Wait a minute." Uh, in other words, they're showing hospitality. Look, if it was some other group that was in desperate straits and you had a facility sitting there, wouldn't you let them in? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, depends. If it's like. You know, drug dealers, anonymous, you know, it's, I mean, it was something, you know, I, not that. But we're talking people who are going to be living in your community, they're going to be your neighbor. I'm called to be a light to the world. How am I going to be a light to them if I treat them like, ooh, get away from us? No, no. Oh, hey, we're standing out here in the rain trying to have a meeting. Uh, stay out there because you're the wrong religion. I, you know, I know I'm, I'm really agitating the troops here. I know that. So let me finish agitating. <laughs> what happens when we scatter? Most of us are not going to have that challenge in our face. But, you know, in the days ahead, you don't know what you're going to have to face. We have no idea. All the boundaries have been blown to smithereens in our culture. They have. So it's not, not so easy. Here's what scattering tells me. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. By the way, can I go back to that? Obviously, the Christians in that church were not going to help hand out Muslim tracts to their name, okay? I think they had clarity about what they were trying to do. They were trying to befriend their new neighbors and love them into the kingdom. All right, let me tell you about scattering, because this is really important. It is a lay-driven work. Let me explain what I mean. On that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except who? The church staff. They stayed in town because they like persecution, right? No, they stayed in town because there was work to do. The church staff stayed in town, but the church was scattered. Who's the church? Thank you. Who's the body of Christ? Who's the temple of God? Who's All right. They were scattered. What did they do? Therefore, those who had been scattered, not the church staff, the lay people, 
went about preaching the word. And the word preaching there is euvangelia, evangelizing, which means telling good news. That's all it means, telling good news. Here's what happens to us. We kind of freak out. Oh, how do we share the gospel with other people? And what, we, we panic because we think we all have to be... Um, yeah, Billy Grant. No, I'm thinking of the, who's the Ravi Zacharias. You know, we have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers. In fact, some of the best witnesses and, and people that I knew that dragged friends into church were so broken, they would just say, oh, I, you know, this is what works, and I'm so screwed up, I never get it right. But if you want to come learn how we can get it right, and they go, okay, this person's real, holy smokes, and they'd come to church. You're all real quiet this morning. I'm getting nervous. You will scatter. You can't avoid it. The opportunity then is there are people around us that we rub shoulders with and we get a chance to explain it. Here's all you have to be. A lay worshiper. Just be a worshiper of God. Love Jesus. Try to grow. Whatever you know is enough, even if all you know is why you know you have eternal life, why you have joy, why your life turned around. That's why I started with my story. I was a hippie freak nutcase. I was into Eastern religion, occultism. I was lost as you can get, even though I was a kid in church, just like some of you. I didn't get it. I had never been born from above until that day that I told you about. So, here's what Peter says. Sanctify Christ, honor and glorify. Put Christ number one in your life as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense. Here's the word defense. An apology. The Greek word is apology. Apologia. A defense. It's the word for defense. And it doesn't have to be Ravi Zacharias. It has to simply be all I know. I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I used to do this, now I'm doing this, and it's been lasting for 43 years. Always be ready to make a defense for everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Oh, my. Gentleness and reverence. Humility and respect for other people. These nincompoops down south who hang signs out calling people of gender confusion, filthy names and everything else, and are doing this in the name of Jesus. I, I don't even have words for that kind of person. I, don't, I, I really don't. I don't know what planet they're on. Gentleness and respect. We learned in class, right, Gene? <laughs> respect for self. Always respect for others. Can we respect the person you disagree radically with? Yeah, it's appropriate to show respect. That's more attention getting to them than saying, I think you're a jerk. And who did you vote for? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Leave it out. That has nothing to do with the gospel. Nothing. Nothing. Did you hear me? has nothing to do with the gospel. We mix up America with the gospel. I better stay on task. You don't have to have all the answers. Be gracious, be respectful, and it can work. 
When Tim Power washed the building, I was so appreciative. Somebody came up and said, you know what my problem was? I was, I was cranky right away. I loved it. I said, yeah, you weren't the only one. You're just admitting it, you know. People get cranky. That's one of our problems. We're so used to flesh reactions. We're so used to it. And we think that's normal, and that's okay. That's, that's the way it is. No, that's not the way it's supposed to be. There's something in the Bible about crucifying our flesh and learning to let the sweetness of Jesus manifest. So we're scattering in order to impact people who need Christ. You're going to go out there, you're going to connect with people Hako's never going to connect with. I'm not going to know them. You know them. My land, land person, landlady, land um, ratted on me that I'm a preacher, and so all my neighbors avoid me like I have leprosy. <laughs> I'm serious. I can't can hardly interact with any of my neighbors. So you guys got to do it all. That's the way it is. <laughs> That's really true. True story. Well, who's, who's uh-uh over there? Who's uh-uh? No, I have, I have my... We all have our circles. We all have our places where we can connect with people. Let me read a few things. This relates to the church. These are some of the newsletters from Rainer. I just want to read a couple of highlights because I really do think some of us are making motion forward, and I'm encouraged by that in our assembly. We've got to change our ethos. I have said that over and over and over again. Here's some of the things I want us to understand. What category would our church kind of left to itself be? I'm just going to tell you, I've been three here three years. I'm going to tell you my assessment. If it is offensive, feel free to talk to me. Churches where people demand to be served instead of being servants have ceased being biblical churches. They are religious country clubs. The country club church, according to Rainer, members in these churches see their membership as perks and privileges. They want their styles of music, their worship service times, their types of architecture, their preferred lengths of sermons. You're never going to get anywhere on that one with me. They pay their dues so they should get their benefits or so the thinking of the members go. Here's the line that is condemning. Don't ask them to evangelize, put others first, or make sacrifices to reach the people. After all, it's their church. I'm just telling you, that's how it's felt to me at times. It's not everybody here, but I'm saying that's how it's felt to me. And I'm not your friend if I just kind of schmooze you, make us all happy campers. And then we go stand before Jesus and he said, what did you do? Why churches move from growth to maintenance? They have too many activities because they won't get rid of ones that should go. Almost any time you try to stop doing something in a church, you'll meet resistance. When you do do something different than how a church has always done it, you will have conflict. (laughs) Church's attitude has to turn around. Oh, I love this. The church's attitude has to turn around before the actions of the church will turn around. So the reason I'm sharing those things is because I know that if we start to be serious about looking at the outsider so they don't think we're mad and help them understand what it means to enter in the gospel, 
it makes, it's going to make somebody uncomfortable. And I know that'll make it a time of decision for people. There are two ways we can respond. If I absolutely can't agree with motion in a certain direction, then I have to decide if, and by the way, you should do this respectfully, talk with the pastor and say, here's why I can't live with this anymore. And it's okay. There may be another church you can support wholeheartedly. But even if I'm uncomfortable, I need to pray about it. Thank you for being so candid. You know what I mean? I have to pray and say, is there something God needs to change in me so that we can be the light that's on the hill that draws those who are lost? They see clearly. I'm over here. They're over there. But they love us, and they care about us, and I'm attracted. I want to know. And when I come here, the connection I make with the other people in the room tells me they care about me. They love me, and they want me to join them on this journey to glory. Because that's what we're about, right? Dragging as many of Satan's captives out of his prison cell as possible and take them with us to glory. I have gone too long, and most of you are thinking, You ain't whistling Dixie. I'm going to ask you to stand. We'll pray. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray. Would you clarify in our minds individually, each of us, what you're calling us to do, what you're calling me to change in my thinking, what you're calling me to change in my habits, what I'm doing that is pleasing you that I should not only enjoy but maybe multiply it. But, Lord, we need your help. Left to ourselves... I know for myself, left to myself, I don't even see my own blind spots. But with brothers and sisters who love me and with the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, I can suddenly see things that kind of eluded me. Would you take us through that journey? And help us, Lord, because we are looking into the future. It's people who are outside of you, God. They're outside of the camp that need to be brought in. That's the future of the church. Thankfully, we have young people, and they've been blessed. They've brought children into the world. But, Lord, that is not going to sustain the church into the future. And it's not about sustaining the church. It's about glorifying you and expanding your kingdom. And your church is part of that. So would you instruct us and help us? And as many churches commission their people as they go out into the world, we're going to scatter in a couple of minutes. As we go, let us see where you've given us open doors to say, uh, here's where I was, here's where I am now. Come find out about it. And pray for your help. Put your angels around your people. Protect us. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen and amen. God bless you and have a great afternoon if I haven't totally depressed you.